On this episode of True Crime One-on-One, Aurora Candy from Murder, Murder News. On each episode, I interview true crime podcasters, investigators, and authors to ask them about their motivations. What inspired these people to become determined to do what they do? What are the original cases that gave them their start? What are they working on now? And the cases that keep them going? And what is the holy grail of true crime topics they want to tackle in the future? In this conversation with Aurora, we talk about close encounters with true crime locations and cases, the inspiration for the Murder Murder website, using social media to solve unsolved crimes, using technology to prevent crimes in the first place, and we joke about starting a true crime cult in the wilderness with baby goats, and more. I'm Eric Render King Fisk from the Fedora Chronicles, and this is True Crime One-on-One. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. So, Aurora, I've wanted to have you on the podcast for a while now because I've been following your, it's your webpage, Murder, Murder News. And my co-host and I, Jason, and I talked about a really important article that you posted on your website about missing does. That's right. I just out of the blue, I said, did you want to do a podcast? And I thought, okay. Um, and you agreed to it. So I thought to myself, it's, it's, it's destiny that um, I, I'm, I'm just meeting so many members of my true crime family. What, let's start with the beginning of you and, and who are you? Where did you come from? And maybe this is, we should, maybe I'm throwing this at you all at once, but how did you get into true crime? So for me getting into the idea of true crime, um, I used to watch Unsolved Mysteries with my mom as a kid religiously. Like it was on every night in our home and she's been a lover of true crime or murder shows as she calls them for as long as I can remember. And so I sort of grew up with it. And I don't think that until recently I even would have described myself as being into true crime, even though I've always been intrigued by some of these mysteries and some of these stories. And the first story that really stuck with me as a kid seeing a show about it was the Felisca Axe Murders. I don't know if you're familiar with the story. No, I'm not. Um, I'm not sure what state Velisca's in. I think like Idaho or I'm from the Midwest. I should okay. know this, but like one of the Midwestern states, like something like Idaho. And uh, this was an old timey murder and a family of six was murdered while they slept. And the police believed at the time, uh, and it's still an unsolved mystery, that a man had snuck into their house while they were out at church that Sunday afternoon. He hid in their attic while they were gone or while they were gone for the day. And when they got home and were making dinner and had gotten ready for bed. And while they were all sleeping, he came down from the attic and one by one killed them all with an axe, specifically. Incredibly haunting story. So spooky. And to hear that as a kid, it's like any, you know, like the stuff sticks with you. And it's like, what if somebody's hiding in my closet? What if somebody's under my bed? And I say I did that as a child, as a 38-year-old. Every time (laughs) I come home from leaving my house, I'm still like, is somebody in there? Exactly. (laughs) 
So that's sort of my true crime origin of how I got into it. And after discovering recently um, all of these wonderful true crime podcasts, what you do and so many wonderful, talented people are doing, um, it really sort of became a way, like my main source of entertainment when I'm at home and washing dishes, when um, like I'm from LA, when I'm in traffic for hours at a time. And I just, I love it. Like it's just the best. It's so entertaining. Yeah. yeah. It's not just entertaining though, but it's also kind of like a calling. Like you, you have to do this. Yeah, and for me starting this company, um, my background was actually in software. And prior to this, I owned a software company for 13 years. And I sold that company about three years ago and was sort of trying to decide what my next step was in my career. And um, I had sort of taken some time off between projects and was sort of doing a, like, do I want to start another software company? That was a lot of work. And I had energy for that when I was 21. Can I do that now? And while I was on a trip, I just sort of had this um, vision for a true crime uh, website at the time, I thought. Um, and I was spending a lot of my time on Facebook and on social media, clicking on articles friends had posted about current events regarding true crime. And it occurred to me that there wasn't a site you could really go to, or at least not that I knew of, where you could just go and look at current crimes or even read about you know, past crimes and maybe updates on those cases. And I thought that I would start a website um, that just had recent true crime cases all in one place for people. Mm -hmm. And I, I was talking to my best friend about this uh, at the time, um, who's Angelina, like some of you that watch our show might be familiar with her. She's wonderful. And, um, and she loved the idea. And she had actually just had, this is so funny, she had just had a tarot card reading recently about her next steps in business. And the tarot card reader had told her that she saw in her future starting a business with a friend and something about a Taurus, which I happen to be. Mm -hmm. So I'm telling her this business idea I had, and I was like, maybe I'll try to throw something together. Like, we'll see what comes of it. And she's like, well, you're not going to believe this. Like, I just had uh, a tarot card reading that we were going to start a company together and this might be a fun thing for us to work on. And she happens to be a WordPress developer. So like that was a great happenstance that yep, <laughs> like our yeah. skills sort of work together in that part. And, um, you know, when I also think of true crime and I think of like my goals for my life, I've just always wanted to start a cult. <laughs> I just like I want to be at a big farm with some baby goats running around and yeah. maybe some chickens and just have like people you get along with right and I think of starting a call like the best version of that I can imagine is having friends that you're sitting around discussing true crime cases that you're called with like yeah, absolutely. right absolutely absolutely <laughs> Because the thing is, is that if you so, want, if you're going to start a cult, there's there's two ways you uh -huh. can go. You could either have a farm out in the middle of nowhere, like yours, with baby uh -huh. goats, and try and solve crimes. And then there's the Manson family cult, where you have a farm and with your followers, uh -huh. and you commit crimes. 
That's true. It's so true. And I'm thinking more of the solving route, but I'm not going to say there can't be some occasional hijinks. Right. I'm not going to suggest murder right. from any of our followers, but like, you know, maybe some hijinks. Yes. And if maybe there, a little petty crime. And if, there, <laughs> and if there's going to be any, any murder taking place, it's all going to be vigilante. Like, like they had it coming. I love that Dexter style. Exactly. I feel like you're exactly. a convert. Like maybe we could do this together. Absolutely. Or or I can I, I can just be the branch manager for your cult here in New England. So, I love it, Eric. Yes. <laughs> um, because um, for 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 me, and I, I've finally been able to actually sort of address this. Um. Uh, and and this and this is this is really difficult, and it's always no matter how many times I talk about this, it's always hard to just bring it out. Um, my mom, my mother's boyfriend in the eighties was a sadist. He was just this horrible human being, and used to talk about these horrible things that he did when he was in Vietnam. And he claimed that he had done some horrible things. And one of his friends had said jokingly, "Hey, be careful of this guy. He, he, he's he's a, he's a real child killer." And we just we didn't think about it at all. And I connected to my with my father for the first time in twelve years, in eighty seven, and we were talking, and I told my dad about all of these things. My dad had friends who were in law enforcement, and he spoke to a friend of his. And he says, you got to get Eric in here right away to talk about his mom's now ex-boyfriend. One of the things I had found out is that he was wanted for the disappearance of three girls in the state of Maine. Oh, my God. So in October of 1987, I'm sitting in the Marlboro Police Station talking to Detective Steve Williams about my mom's ex-boyfriend who claimed he had the head of a woman he brought back from overseas. And they were like, who does that? Who does that? And uh, How terrible. And um, Detective Steve Williams at the time was looking into the, um, the, the case. I don't know if you're familiar with the case, of Sarah Pryor here in in the New England area. She was from Massachusetts. And I was I don't think so. Yeah, it's the sad thing is there's so many missing children cases. Yeah. And it's then so sad. and then there's another uh, there's another case that is it's a, it's a it's a it's another town along the same highway in Massachusetts of another missing girl. So a couple of days ago, I was with my wife up, up in um, a Dartmouth-Hitchcock area in, um, in, in New Hampshire. And I was just scrolling through, looking at photos, you know, just in, you know, on Twitter. And there's a, there's a sketch of my mom, somebody who looks exactly just like my mother's boyfriend uh-huh. related to another case. Oh my God. So I'm like, I'm, for, I mean, first of all, I'm fascinated with mysteries, but yet on the other hand, I, um, one of the reasons why I started the podcast is that I wanted to like piece together, like who was really my dad? My, cause my dad had some very unusual aspects to his past in his history. And I'm also trying to figure out 
could it be that my mom's ex-boyfriend was an actual silly serial killer the way my dad was convinced that he was and sort of pick up where is there any case for you that because I don't want to make this all about me but uh-huh. is there is there one case that you are deeply involved with you know I um, feel quite lucky that I've never had that sort of close connection to a case um, the closest I've come is I did actually meet a girl in Austin, Texas on the night that she was murdered and, um, pretty spooky circumstances. Uh, this was around, I believe like 2011, 2012, um, Austin, Texas actually had an escalating serial rapist and, um, The man was mostly targeting runners around uh, a very popular hiking trail at Town Lake in Austin, Texas. And it started off where um, kind of simply, uh, obviously so upsetting, Mm -hmm. but he was flashing women, which turned into rape. And on the night of New Year's Eve, and I believe 2012, um, he finally escalated to murder And I happened to be out with a group of friends at a friend's show she was playing at, like a a music event. She was in this like really fabulous glam rock band. And a group of my friends was friends with this girl. Her name was Esme. And I was introduced to her that night. We just kind of had small talk about, you know, what our friend's bands we were seeing play. She knew my friend who was playing that night. And uh, the news broke the next day that Esme was murdered in her home by this man. And it was really scary. I was the exact same age as her. I lived uh, about half a mile away from her. And the man, as far as we knew, was at large. Like Nobody knew if he was still on the loose. Nobody knew where he was. He had also attacked two other women in that same night, sort of in like a berserker mode where he had just sort of lost it. And um, everybody was speculating that whoever had killed Esme was attached to the serial rapist uh, uh, incidents by the lake, too. And the city just had a full meltdown. Like, it was still a reasonably small town in 2012, and um, it felt safe, and everybody felt very safe there. I was living by myself for the first time in my 20s, and um, I had a pit bull um, (laughs) who would have, like— you know, died protecting me. She was wonderful, but I had no way of protecting myself. I felt very unsafe leaving my house. Everybody was on high alarm. Like all the young women I was friends with, everybody was pretty freaked out. And fortunately, um, the police did find Esme's killer, uh, days later, I believe in the middle of January. And he had, um, I'm not quite sure what the cause of death was because the police department, uh, APD still has released so few details about Esme's death and about the other attacks, but I believe that he asphyxiated and took his own life. Um, uh, maybe even as soon as the night of new year's Eve. And they just found him days later when, uh, I don't know if somebody was checking in on him or somebody smelled something in his apartment complex, but the police did find him. And as far as I'm aware, used DNA to tie him to Esme's death and to the other joggers at the hiking trail. So it was a terrifying time. 
Um, it was just, it really affected me having met Esme. Uh, it was like my first time feeling like I was doing detective work and really trying to dig to find information, to feel safe, to have closure for this lovely young woman that I had just met where so many of my friends were best friends with her. It really affected our community. And it was just a terrifying time to live in Austin. It's, it is amazing, and not in a good way, how the death of somebody that you just met or just a mere stranger in close proximity to you can have such a profound effect on you. Um, and I didn't realize one of, the, um, one of the other interviews that I did with a woman who did a, uh, an anthology on uh, true crime serial killers. I, <laughs> um, my wife and I uh, used to hike um, around uh, the state forest. Um, I think it's called Otter Hill Dam. And it turns out like that's where a serial killer had dumped at least one body that they know of. Whoa. <laughs> and it's kind of like, <laughs> like, wait a minute, I was just there, you know? And it was yeah. just, it was, and, 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 uh, the, this, this killer dropped some bodies in the area, you know, right around the time when my dad used to go hiking, we went hiking there once or twice when we were living in, in Winchenden, Massachusetts. Um, so do you think that there's, there is something about certain places that are just magnets for serial killers or or just just crime in general and what do you think that those factors are i wonder about this a lot and i've often tried to find research associated with this because i really like the psychology um about this sort of thing and whatnot but i've seen a couple of interesting i'm so sorry for that loud noise oh it's it's <laughs> it's, it's it's fine i actually had my youngest son um, on uh, one of our laptops, he has one of these gaming mouses, and it's not—it's—it's it's built for speed, not for sound suppression. He was clicking like crazy. So <laughs> nice. Um, but so there's two theories that I think are very interesting that I've read about, and one of them, um, my husband, who is very into conspiracy theories, introduced me to, and that is that the rise of serial killers in the '70s was possibly correlated with leaded gasoline and its use and its increase of cars on the road during the 70s with leaded gasoline um, and that when we stopped using leaded gasoline and we stopped using lead in paint at least the number of active serial killers and violent crimes like there's some studies on the uh, increase in just violent crime in general not just serial killers uh, decreased when we stopped using leaded gasoline which i think is fascinating it is <laughs> it is fascinating uh, there's a there's uh, he might he might make a, for a great guest on a future episode of my podcast um <laughs> really cuz i mean i I don't believe in every conspiracy theory, but I, this is crazy. I don't believe in every conspiracy theory, but I believe in every conspiracy theorist. Right. That's, I like that separation. <laughs> because there are some, there are some insane books that I've been reading. Um, by the way, the, the book that I referenced er, um, earlier is um, uh, the best new tr true crime stories by Mitzi Serena, Serino. Um, we had her as a guest a little while ago, and one one of the um, 
one of the books that I think that uh, your husband has to read, Poisoner in Chief. And it is about um, MK Ultra and the CIA experimenting on people using LSD to try. I would love to read this because I really think that there's something to it. And I think it's such an interesting experiment. Like, I would love to read this book. Because that's because the thing is, that, that was one of the biggest questions I, I want to ask other true crime podcasters and amateur investigators. And writers, I think, is the best way. <laughs> what makes a serial killer a serial killer? And there's also a book about, uh, it's it's called Chaos, and it's about the CIA using, like the other one, the Poisoner-in-Chief, using LSD to try and make soldiers more murderous. Right. And, and apparently... Getting back to Charlie Manson, Charlie Manson was one of the early test subjects, according to this book. I did not know that. I've never heard that. Fascinating. And um, my wife is a healthcare professional specialist, and we have a lot of friends who are in the medical field. And they all agree on one thing. Additives, preservatives, artificial flavors, and colors are doing things that they had no idea was possible. I so believe that. And like, I'm, I'm a big nutrition person. Mm -hmm. I'm a big, like, I don't want to drink city water. <laughs> yep. I don't quite trust it. Like, I, I totally think that these things can have an impact on our brains and that they can impact, um, you know, like you are what you eat and it's sort of like a garbage in garbage out. Like our yep. cellular makeup is affected by the level of nutrition we're taking. And I absolutely believe that chemicals can mess with our heads, even in tiny doses, especially over time. Yeah. Um, it, the, the book is written by Tom O'Neill, chaos, Charlie Manson, the CIA and the secret history of the sixties. And it did, it, it seemed like there was a clinic in Ashbury Heights in San Francisco where it would, Dr. Goteb and some of his other associates were actually handing out free LSD to people and had a, a, like a little hangout uh, apartment where people would just get loaded and they would just observe these people and see what they would, they would do. And, and how they would behave and the long-term implications of this. And there was another book, coincidentally, by Stephen Kinsler, Poisoner-in-Chief, Sidney Goteb, and the CIA Search for Mind Control, um, which is the same. It, it, it covers a lot of the same material. But I, I actually wonder and debate out loud and openly if one of the reasons why we've had so many serial killers in the past 50 or 60 years because of like, for example, the crap that we're putting in the water. Right. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to take us off on a tangent, but look at what's happening with Flint and the, and the lead and mercury in the water in Flint. I'm, oh, so sad. I'm not, I'm not saying that Flint is going to be a hotbed for serial killers or, or anything like that, but we know that that's causing neurological problems. And then right. we look at everything. We look at like the air that we breathe with the with with the um, pollution and the pesticides. Um, yeah, and you know, I think it's so obvious on a small scale. 
um, that like the quality of air and such makes such a big difference. Like I know that I tend to live in big cities. Like I'm, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I lived in Austin, Texas. I lived in LA right now. I'm in Montreal and I tend to be in a city and I don't necessarily notice a difference in my mental health when I'm in a city. Like I maybe start to feel like an itch to get out to the country, like especially yeah. right now, like in quarantine, like I'm just feel like I'm about to lose it any day being in a tiny apartment hold up in Montreal where I'm not from. And once you're out in the country, your mind is so clear. Like it just feels so great to be outside. And like, I feel like my mental health is just like doing fantastic and everything feels so clear. So I do think that there's something so obvious. Like I think we all can tell when we're having like a better quality situation with like water and fresh air right. for sure. Like my wife and I made so many sacrifices to be able to bring our kids up here out in the middle of the country. Um, like we literally live in a town with population, like less than 20,000 people, I believe. And it's, it's extremely rural. Um, it sounds like you've already found a location for our call. It is. We have, we, <laughs> we have so much land. We have so much <laughs> land. Amazing. You know, we, we have the field on the other, uh, on the, uh, on the other side of the road. Um, we already have the chickens. Now we're just looking to get the baby goats. You know. All right, I I will arrange the baby goats since you have all the other aspects. You're making my dream come true. I will come with baby goats and true crime stories. Fantastic, <laughs> that is fantastic. So we're gonna make this work. We're gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, also going back to um, uh, murder, murder, for a second. Um. Was it hard getting that up off the ground and getting other people involved? Or did just so many people like me come out of the woodwork and say, I got to be a part of this project? It's been reasonably easier than I expected it to be. Um, you know, I got Angelina on board in just a heartbeat. Like it took nothing convincing and tricking her into my vision. Mm -hmm. And from there, um, her finding time to develop the website was probably our biggest hurdle because there wasn't much that we could do in the time before we came up with the idea and the site was launched. Like there, I was kind of getting our social media going and reposting articles from other news sites and memes and things and trying to kind of find who our audience would be and who would want to interact with us and who would be a part of this community that we were creating. Um, so once the website was launched, we actually already had a pretty good following, especially on Instagram. And we had made some new true crime fans that were like uh, interacting every single time we would make a post. And it took her about a year to actually develop the website and to get it launched. And we're still sort of in our beta testing mm -hmm. phase of the website right now. Um, most of the functionality is there. You can go and see all these wonderful articles that we repost. A lot of it is aggregated content from other sites. Like we try to pull the best of the true crime content there is out there. We also do our own original content, like mm -hmm. the article you had seen on the Nameless Does. Um, every week we feature a new podcast, a new true crime podcast that you probably haven't heard of. We try to get some smaller guys yep. uh, that maybe don't have as much recognition. Yeah. And um, those articles do wonderful. Like we get a lot of really positive response. I think it's such a thrill to find a podcast you haven't heard of that we've sort of vetted. We've listened to it. Like we know that it's sort of good and sort of has the ideals of the community that they're not exploiting victims right. um, and that sort of thing too. 
one of the things that I think is a weird balancing act, whereas not exploiting like the victims or the victims' families, not right. not revictimizing them, not exploiting them, and not being sensational about it. Um, I talked to Nancy Simpson, um, who does the Toll podcast, which is something I think that it was amazing. It's it's everything that you wanted in a podcast after listening to Serial. Um, right. And Nancy did such a great job. And I asked Nancy, like, how do you do that? And her answer was, you just have to just start with, I'm so sorry for your loss. How That's can, great. How can I help? Um, and it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard, you know, you know, talking to people and saying, you know, and just saying, look, I have a podcast. I'd love to be able to talk about y- your situation, your story, and not come off as being ghoulish. Do you have a, a, a different approach or the same approach? How do you go about um, talking to victims' families? You know, we haven't talked to many victims' families yet at this point, and like it's a hurdle that we we need to get across because one thing that we would actually really like to have on our YouTube channel specifically is interviews with survivors. Um, I'm very interested in survivor stories. I think it's so empowering. I think they're so fascinating. I think humans are capable of living through so much and, um, it just blows my mind. Like my, my favorite TV show for a long time, um, has been, I survived. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one. And, oh, wow, it's just, it's so powerful. And I think it's, you know, there's such an angle in true crime that we go after like the Ted Bundys and this and whatever, but there's so many people that have survived so many horrific situations in their life. And um, I would eventually like to have a special segment on that. And um, I actually recently reached out to uh, one of Ted Bundy, I just mentioned him, but one of right. Ted Bundy's survivors from the Kyomega house in Florida, um, Kathy, who's on uh, Twitter, and she's absolutely lovely. And we've had some back and forth uh, conversations on Twitter. And I asked if she would come on our show, thinking that her answer was certainly going to be like, absolutely not. <laughs> right. But I wanted to like put it out there like just in case, because I thought it would feel just like so amazing to get to chat with her and to hear her version of it. I also know that she survived breast cancer and she survived lupus and she's lived through so much and she has a fantastic attitude about all of it. Like she, she's actually a true crime lover herself. Um, she has every single book written about Ted Bundy and you would think maybe somebody who lived what she would had lived through would want to hide from it. Um, but it really helps her, process her trauma to sort of take it in and to know that she made it and she can make it through anything because she made it through that. And after she said, yes, I will be on your show. I had like a five minute, like, Oh God, what did I do? I have to cancel. Like I can't talk to her. Like I'm not good enough to talk to her. And then I just sat and sort of thought through, you know, what the questions I would want to be asked. And I really tried to get in her mindset. And I read quite a bit about her and other interviews that she had done. And, um, it occurred to me that the angle she, like the thing she's probably interested in talking about 
is keeping it positive and um, wanting to be seen. Like she wants that visibility. And she had mentioned that, um, of course, like the definitive book probably about Ted Bundy is The Stranger Beside Me, written by Anne Rule. Yeah. And she mentioned that Anne never asked her for an interview for that book. And she's still like kind of surprised by it and was especially surprised by it at the time, but everybody wanted to be so delicate with her and nobody wanted to re-traumatize her. And she said that that sort of took a part away part of her story and getting to tell it from her perspective. And so I think keeping that in mind that you never want to pester a survivor right. or a victim's family, but it's their story too. And they, they should get to tell it and having the opportunity to tell it is very empowering right. sometimes, maybe not for everybody, but there are plenty of people that would like to be able to talk through their trauma and help other people. So keeping that in mind that you're dealing with, a real person and what would that feel like if I had gone through what they went through? Right. One of the things I've, I always have to try and bring up is the fact that in, you know, re trying to reach out to Molly Bish's sister and say, listen, I was in a police station actually talking about a similar case. Yes, I know. I know it's weird because I have a true crime podcast, but the reason why I have a true crime podcast is because of this. It, it's right. it's because of this thing that I have hanging over me, and I have no idea how else to deal with this. And it's like you were so close to it. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you maybe lived with a serial killer. Like it's you have like this proximity to it that must be a really interesting thing to process. It's it, it's. Would you like to know how many thousands of dollars I've spent in therapy? <laughs> you know, I mean. <laughs> Um, that and good for you for taking that yeah. on too and for realizing that you got to prioritize yourself yeah. and that that it's okay for you to um like to get to talk about this that even though you weren't necessarily like a direct victim you were still affected by this right. man that you recognized was a sadist and that he compromised your security as a child oh, where you deserve yeah. to feel like loved and cared for. So good for you for taking oh. that on in therapy. Well, th well, well, thank you. And thank my therapist and thank you for my wife for understanding. But, but here's the, here's the thing. I'm also one of his victims because I, Absolutely. I had been abused um, physically and sexually. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I, but it's a, well, it's okay. You didn't, you didn't do it. Um, and I, I try and be, and that's how I tackle things with a little bit of, of, of humor. Cause I, cause if you don't laugh about it, you will go crazy. Um, yeah, it's so true. And it was, it's uh but there's also the thing is, is that um, one of the things that I've spoken to or spoken about with some people is that there's the, the why me factor. It, and it right. was just like, I, and there's the notion of I'm going to, one morning I'm going to wake up and this is going to be a dream. And every, right. mo every morning that I wake up and it's like, no, no, this is reality. I, I'm, I'm disappointed. Um, the thing that, that I think is amazing and getting back to the article that you did about missing does is that somebody found a good use for social media. It's so clever. It's so helpful. It's so wonderful. Like I'm just, my mind was blown that he had thought to create that, uh, that social media presence. It's so clever. Yeah. 
Do you think that there's any way that technology is going to make, and I know that this sounds crazy, and I, I know this is, this, this is a little crazy talk, but is there ever going to be a time with all the technology that we have, everybody has smartphones, or all, we're all being tracked, we're all being traced and monitored on social media and, the, and our devices, that do you think that there could ever come a time when this is just a thing of the past? Like our, our, our great grandchildren or our great great children, grandchildren are going to look back at this and think, like, they had this thing called serial killers. Can you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is a really interesting thought. And, and like, wouldn't it be wonderful and feel violating? Like, I can imagine, um, you know, like the camera thing always gets me. So there's two things that I think about a lot. And it's, uh, it's that our phones really do know where we are all the time, all day. Like Google's tracking it. Google Maps is tracking it. And this is something that I used to feel was maybe a little bit like conspiracy theory. Like, what can you really do with all that data? Mm-hmm. But um, I'm not sure if you have listened to the podcast to live and die in L.A. Yep. Um, which is a great one if anybody's looking for a recommendation. Um, but there is a, um, a young woman who is missing and a reporter in Los Angeles sets out. Is that Payne, Payne Lindsay? Is that who he is? Is that who does that podcast? I can't remember. I can't, I, I'm probably mispronouncing the name, but we'll just go with that. Right. I think it's Payne Lindsay. But he, um, so he sets out to try to help her family find her. And throughout the course of the show, uh, he uncovers all sorts of information and they eventually do find that she has been murdered. But one of the devices that they use to find her is um, her Google Maps data from her phone. And they really knew all the details and they were able to get those records through like a very legal matter. Her ex-boyfriend was paying for her cell phone and it was in his name. And because he owned the accounts, they were able to get the records from her cell phone. So it's not like the police like stepped in Mm -hmm. and got warrants or anything. Like they were able to like willingly get that information from her ex-boyfriend who could like sign into her Google account. And, um, and that made me really realize like, wow, we really like, my phone knows where I am all the time. I might not like that. And I don't know why I don't like that. Um, I'm not at all libertarian and I want people to be caught and I don't ever do bad things. But there's like always this thought in your mind that like, what if you found yourself in a, a framed situation where it looks like you did something that you didn't do? And now your phone's verifying that like, oh, you were in the wrong place at the wrong time and you didn't commit this crime. And it's right. like, what if I'm implicated for something that I didn't do? Um, and I'm kind of devious. So like <laughs> the chances yes. of this happen seem big. Um, but I, I think about that a lot. And I think that I always like wonder why more crimes aren't solved this way. Like how hard is it to get these warrants to get phone data on people about like where their location was? Because we always have our phones with us. Yes. And like now I watch TV shows like I just watched um, last weekend, the show Dead to Me um, with Christina Applegate. And I can't help but think like she actually did murder somebody on the show. And even though she's kind of the bad guy, you're kind of rooting for her because it was like sort of an accident and this, that and the other thing. And uh, she's going to dispose of the body in the woods in the middle of nowhere and she thinks she lost her cell phone when they dug the hole. And I'm thinking, 
why did you drive your phone with you to go dispose of the body? Like, don't you know that they can track your records with your phone? But I don't really know how much of that is true and how much the police actually have access to that. My husband says they do. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is there a second season of, of, of Dead to Me? Yes. I just planned the rest of your night for you. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you so much. It's, it's on. Uh, it's already been released. It was released uh, last weekend, which was my birthday weekend. So it was just the best birthday present I could have had. Well, hey, and birthday. it is phenomenal. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, um, and, my, my, and my wife and I just celebrated 21 years of marriage. So, Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. Uh, well, That's incredible. Congratulations to me, but my condolences to my wife because I do drive her crazy with... Um, <laughs> But she is she is my biggest fan, and she will tell me the truth. That's the amazing thing is having uh, having a um, uh, a woman who has um, a real heart and soul and integrity. She will come out and she will just tell me flat out if something is crap um, or if something is really good. I think that it's hard for me to sort of um, sort of make this connection, whereas I am. I have to stop saying that I'm a conspiracy theorist because the, the, the phrase conspiracy theorist or the label has been tainted to such an extent that it's, if you're a conspiracy theorist, then, well, obviously you believe that we never landed on the moon and obviously you believe the earth is flat, um, right. which is absolutely totally not true. And I've had to start saying that it's like I, I'm into um, government conspiracies that you can actually actually prove um are there some are there some little bits of history that you think are actual actual like true crime stories like one of the things that I I just, I simply cannot get over and I sort of devote the entire month of November for my podcast and my website on new evidence about the JFK um assassination is there uh-huh. is there is there something for you that you look at that and says no that's that's not just a news story. That's 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 true crime right there, and it's not been solved. And it's like you would like to dig into that and, and be a professional debunker or professional solver. You know, I I have not admittedly been uh, much of a follower of conspiracy theories, and meeting my husband was very eye-opening because he has a good sense of humor about conspiracy theories. Yep. He um, probably is like in the same boat as you. He doesn't, he doesn't believe that we never went to the moon, but sometimes he likes to kind of like poke and see where people's minds will go and where they kind of mm-hmm. question if what we're being presented is like the full picture. Um, so conspiracy theories are a bit new for me, but one case that I, I, I believe like for a long time people believe was a conspiracy theory, but now it's actually been proven that it was true was um, the boys on the track story, um, which I'm definitely not going to give this story justice. I'm not sure if you're familiar sure. with that. one. No, go ahead. Okay. So there were boys and I believe it's in Arkansas because I believe that Bill Clinton was president or not president was governor of Arkansas at the time. And this is really going to be misinformation corner. Everyone. I'm so sorry. Sure. Everybody probably knows the story better than I do. Um, but I've actually been wanting to read like so there's a book called boys on the tracks that I've been trying to get my hands on. That's kind of hard to find because I've heard a synopsis of it and it sounds fascinating. Um, but these kids, uh, 
turned up, they, they found them dead on a railroad track in Arkansas. And actually, I believe, um, like Stand By Me is sort of loosely based on like a, a fictional version of this plot. Um, you know, and that goes to more into how it affected the community and like these kids finding like a dead kid on railroad tracks. Well, this story, they believe that it was like somebody local in the community, it went unsolved. And now looking back on it, it actually had something to do with drugs and Bill Clinton and cover-ups and whatever. And there's actually been some sort of files released, like proving that the conspiracy theory that people have long believed is actually accurate. And the crime was pinned on somebody that didn't do it. And um, again, I don't know the full story, but that's one I'm very interested in. And I would love to listen to a podcast or something that does a deep dive because I think it sounds like a fascinating story. Yeah, because the thing is, is that you, this is the amazing thing is, is that you could just do a, like a, a, a an internet search and you just do like, like the boys on the track and I got all these books. Then I explained the boys on the track, Bill Clinton, and all of a sudden, hey, wouldn't you know it? Now I'm down the rabbit hole. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. You're right. This is all Googleable. I'm like, nobody can ever know. <laughs> like, I don't know the answer. Nobody can ever know. But like, right. I'm sure, it's very easy to find information on that specific case because um, I know it has been a big media case, and you know they're making movies about it and stuff. But I think it's it sounds fascinating, and I um, would love to know more about it and do a deeper dive. Yeah, I. Because it's so easy to go down the rabbit hole when it comes to um, conspiracy theories. And it's so easy to, when you're doing your own research, uh, you can get confirmation bias. Right. Whereas it's like, I want, I want this to be true. So I'm only going to look for evidence that backs that up. And that's all, I mean, and that's obviously in true crime that you can actually, cause I want to believe this. Let's, let's just take, for example, um, the tiger King. Right. And ev everybody, thanks to COVID and thanks to, um, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the quarantine, it's sort of right. like this, this is like the one true crime series that everybody was involved in as soon as right. it was released because nobody ever had any um do you think documentaries like the tiger king on netflix do more good than harm or vice versa do they do more harm than good i do think that that is a really very good example of how if you want to see things through a certain lens you can convince yourself of that um because that documentary certainly led a shocking number of people to feel like Joe Exotic was a good guy. And uh, like there were, there's like so many fans of him now. And I was sort of familiar with this case a bit before the show was released because of the podcast Over My Dead Body, mm -hmm. um, which I thought did a much better representation, a much more even representation of the facts of the case. So I had already gone into it with like some knowledge of Joe being a really bad guy and, and I'm a vegan and I'm an yep. animal lover and that he was really mistreating the animals. Um, I feel like that film, I know that like everybody's favorite uh, enemy right now or bad guy is Carol Baskin. Yep. But, um, I also like know that in the vegan community, her 
Rescue has been very well respected for a long time. And I know that she had started off purchasing uh, like baby tigers and breeding them and whatever in the beginning. But at some point she had a change of heart and she's doing the best she can I believe at least like for tigers, like the tigers that she comes across. And like, I look at it sort of as a, um, you can only do the best with the resources you have with like, let's take dogs, for example. Like now we know that it's not a good idea to buy dogs from breeders. It's better if you adopt. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the whole like adopt, don't shop campaign. And like, can we give dogs like the lives they deserve like running around and hunting and like doing dog things no like they're living in our homes and we're feeding them and they seem pretty happy um but like they're not really living their best dog lives and i think what carol does is maybe comparable Mm -hmm. to that like she's doing the best she can for the tigers um there but i i just don't i don't know how that documentary got made i think uh it was a very one-sided for Joe, and you can tell that the documentarians like probably kind of preferred him. Do I think Carol killed her husband? I don't know, maybe. No. <laughs> but I do know that Joe hired somebody to kill Carol, and he should be in prison where he is. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I you look at that, and it was just like I'm kind of like, oh my god, there are so many people who have been put in jail for crimes they didn't commit or minor crimes, and then it's like you look at somebody like Joe Erotic and he says. Oh man, thank God there are places like prisons to keep him there. Yeah, like he's he's just not a good guy, you know. Like I I think he was um, probably like sort of manipulating these men, like these young men that he was keeping there with drugs and money and promises of petting baby tigers and kind of. I, I think that he was manipulating them and probably like a little bit mentally abusing them to stay yeah. there and. I just think he's a bad guy, and I don't know how that documentary made him look like a good guy. <laughs> I Because, I mean, I watched it, and I'm like, there's no way that he's a good guy. No. <laughs> I don't know. How can you look at him and think that he's he's the hero of the story? What? Is, is there another documentary that you're watching? <laughs> yes. like, And there's still people that are just like, Joe for whatever office, and Joe for president. And like you see these memes online, and it's like, I'm pretty sure we did watch a different documentary. <laughs> I'm pr- or I'm pretty sure that they're being ironic. Um, right, I hope. <laughs> but I also think that um, Netflix has done a really great job with other true crime stories. Um, yeah. But you look, you look at something like Making a Murderer. Right. And the thing is, is that were we gaslighted into believing that... I can't remember Steve Avery. Steve Avery. Have we been gaslit into believing that he's innocent? Is there something we don't know? Because surely yeah. he was innocent of the first crime that he was accused of committing, but I'm kind of wondering, it's like, were we sold a bill of goods? Yeah, that was an interesting one. And I have definitely found myself after watching the documentary sort of being on his side, which I think, like I probably need to do a deeper dive and sort of familiarize myself with the case. I know that there's been some very good podcasts that have covered um, the show. I can't think of his name, but he is a detective uh, and there's like a few detectives that do the talk show together and they broke down his case and they believe that he is probably guilty. 
Um, and I know a lot of people coming away from that podcast now believe that he was guilty, but I think what everybody can sort of agree on is that the, the trial that he had was not fair. No. And I think that there was planted evidence and I think that there are definitely things to question. And I, 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 I don't think he should have been, um, should have been found guilty based on the trial that he had <laughs> No, for sure. And maybe, maybe that's just because Netflix did a really good job of sort of messing with our minds and making us question it. But, um, I do follow his attorney on Twitter and she does seem like she's a pretty amazing woman and I'm kind of, I'm kind of sticking with her. Because the amazing thing with the modern technology that we have getting back to this for a second is that we have social media and we're able to connect and we're able to talk about what's going on in the world of true crime. I, I think I belong to at least five groups that tries to help missing persons. I love that. And inviting people to come on my show or say, look here, if you, if you're, if you're in New Mexico, go to true consequences, talk to the other uh, Eric Carter Landine and talk to him. Uh-huh. Everybody is so supportive. Everybody is like, oh, you have a podcast. I have a podcast. Let's, let's, let's podcast together. Um, the technology is like, it's, it's out of the realm of science fiction from 50 years ago. Who would have thought 50 years ago that we could have done all of this to get together? Um, it's so, but it's, it's also really easy to manipulate our audiences into thinking something because we want to think, you know, there's, and, I'm, and sometimes I've, I've often wondered, should there be some kind of, I don't want to say a committee. I don't want to say a blue ribbon panel. I don't think that, but I think that there should be some sort of like a true crime guild that sort of like right. steps in and says, you are totally exploiting the victims yeah. Is there something that the true crime community can do to make sure that 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 family and friends are, are, aren't being exploited and to make sure that if you're going to do a podcast about a case, at least at least be honest and truthful and not manipulate the audience or is or, or am I just asking for trouble? Uh, I think it's it, it's a good thing to discuss. I, I really don't know what we can do other than what we're sort of doing. Like I, I know there was a podcast, um, a while ago. I don't know that I should name names on this. Um, but he has been, he's really been gone after by the true crime community several times. He actually was fired from his network, um, about a year ago. It was actually on women's day of last year. Um, because he's just, uh, he's not a good guy and he exploits victims. He'd actually doxed one of the victims of, I believe, I, I think it was like a sexual assault. Um, he gave information about her and how she could be found on social media during one of his podcasts. Mm -hmm. And it was incredibly upsetting. And the community did join together and everybody sent messages to the network that he was on and demanded that he was removed. And the next day he was removed. And now he's still making his podcast on his own. And there's just not much you can do to prevent people, of course, if they want to make their uh, own hot take <laughs> shitty attitude podcast on their own. Do, do, um, but do, it was like, do you want to tell me what it is? And I'll, I'll just delete it or I'll bleed it out. 
Yeah, sure. It's a. Uh, oh, I just forgot it. Let's see. It's uh, the. Oh my god! I was just looking at that. Do you know this story? I guy was like threatening other true crime podcasters. Yes. For calling him to task on this. He was calling out quite a few other podcasters that had absolutely nothing to do with his situation. Like I know um, that he had called out my favorite murder, like the girls there. Uh, and they had, like, there was absolutely no reason to call them out. They had not spoken out against him. They'd never said anything negative against him. Right. Um, there might have been, like, a mini, like, social media sort of back and forth before this. But right. they were not involved in the situation. And um, it was just one of those things where he's blaming the world for the situation he created for himself um, by basically just bad reporting. Like you can't, you can't dox people. It's not okay. Right. No, it's, it's, um, it's, it's especially a victim. Yeah. That's, um, he's very like against the trans community and was making pretty, uh, negative comments about, um, I, I think he was refusing to use the pronouns of a, I'm not sure if it was trans man or woman, right. but he was, um, refusing to use the pro the correct pronouns and, you know, it's just like all you can do is I'm not like the biggest fan of cancel culture, but right. in some of these cases, it does get your message across. Like the way this guy is making his show and the way that he's disrespecting victims is just not acceptable. And we're all going to walk away and just not listen to it. Um, I think it's, of course, better to try to right. um, when you can kindly point out, like if it's a show you like. Uh, write in and let them know. Like, I thought this was not the way that I would want to be talked about. Um, I don't think this is respectful to the victims. And I think you can try to point it out in as kind and patient of a way as possible. But you you can't always make people see your point of view. And there's a lot of terrible people out there. Right. <laughs> you don't have to be a serial killer to be a bad person. And on top of that, I mean, it's... With, I mean, on the one hand, I mean this kind of flippantly, and I mean this is a kind of ha-ha. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have some of these podcasts. So um, That's a really good point. You know, like how many good podcasts were made from this bad situation, from people listening to his podcast previously and liking the style of reporting and the depth of coverage and then hearing something bad that he had done or like bad behavior yeah. and deciding to go out and create their own similar podcast that has the same depth of coverage, but in a more positive light towards victims. Yeah. I, I think of somebody like Eric Carter Landine of True Consequences, who had something absolutely, totally awful happen to him. He lost his brother at a very young age. And mm. he, instead of moving on with his life and, and trying to put it behind him, he's become a crusader to help other crimes in New Mexico with his podcast. And it was just like, I'm, I'm a better person for knowing him. I, Wait, I, he's helping other crimes? Like he's helping solve them? He's helping solve other crimes with his podcast. That's incredible. I mean, I, and it's like um, so many other podcasters that I know of who are like, here's, here's, here's my pain. Here's what I've been through. Right. Um, here's, okay, I'm not going to let this happen to somebody else. I think that that is... I mean, this community has been one of the greatest online communities I've ever be belonged to. And I'm kind of like, people, where you been all my life? Um, so I don't, I don't, cause it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's been an hour and I don't know how much more time you have. I, I could, 
you know, if it wasn't for the the um, you know the time constraints here, I could, I, geez, I could talk to you forever. Um, well, we'll have to do this again, and you'll have to come on our YouTube channel sometime if you'd like. Come oh, on, we can shoot crime and discuss a case. When November rolls around, and if you're going to do the JFK case, uh-huh. I want to be one of the people who you talk to. I don't have to be the person, but I'd love to be, be one of the people. Let's do it. Why don't you come on the show and talk about it? I I'd love to hear what your theories are. I sure would. But um, what's the future of true crime podcasting and what are you working on next for murder murder the future of true crime podcasting that that is interesting um you know i i really do think that this concept of having your voice heard and like your specific story heard is really great and i hope to hear more of that and hear that sensitivity um fall to the wayside i think um you had mentioned your friend has a podcast that is trying to help solve true crimes. I think that's going to certainly be a very big path forward. Um, I know Jensen's and Holes has a similar sort of concept where each week they present a cold case. Um, they have Paul Holes, who, of course, if you were living in Iraq and don't know that he caught the Golden State Killer, that he's just an incredible man. Um, I think that those sorts of podcasts are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger because they can take advantage of the community that's really paying attention and listening and wants to help. And maybe they have a grandma that was living in California in the seventies and was around, um, this situation like this, like they knew the person who was murdered or this sort of thing, like really calling on the community at large to get together and try to solve these cases is going to be a big thing. And, I don't know that we have the capacity at Murder, Murder News to do that yet. That would be really incredible. Um, but right now, we're just working on, um, we want to give the community a platform to come together and discuss that. So uh, we have on our website, as I mentioned, we have the true crime stories. Uh, we also have a forum um, where members of the true crime community can come and discuss. Like We have a cold case solving group. Uh, so if there's a crime you're interested in, uh, I know we have some people in our forum that are really into the Delphi murders, for example, that they kind of go on deep dives and exchange pictures from the crime scene and videos and sort of discuss those. Um, come check it out. We would love to help you find resources and such to work on these crimes. Uh, we also have more entertainment-based things, like we have a true crime book club. We're reading The Sundown Motel this month. Um, so we just kind of want to create a place that is educational if that's what you want, but also if you just kind of want to zone out and talk about a, and actually Sunday Motel is more of a crime fiction book. If you want to just have something for entertainment value, it's there too. That is terrific. And I look forward to everything that you do and I cannot wait to talk to you again. And if you have another article that you want us to, uh, to share, just drop me a line and we're connected on on skype and 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 on twitter come on the podcast and bend my ear because this has been this has been a great great hour i would love that eric it's been so fun talking to absolutely. you. absolutely i will talk to you later all right thanks eric a special thanks to aurora caddy for joining us on this edition of true crime one-on-one please be sure to visit and bookmark the website murdermurder.news. 
follow Murder Murder on Twitter at mmurdernews and on Instagram at murdermurdernews. This has been True Crime One-on-One from the Fedora Chronicles. Find out more about our podcasts on the Fedora Chronicles Network by visiting our website, thefedorachronicles.com, where you can find our show notes, past episodes, and articles. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by simply searching for The Fedora Chronicles on those platforms. Don't forget to join our group on Facebook after you found it so you can keep up with what we will be talking about in the next episode. Facebook, Twitter, and our email address, fedorachronicle at gmail.com, are great ways to drop us a line with comments and future show topic suggestions. We might even read your comment on the air. Support the show by contributing to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Fedora Chronicles. For a mere dollar a month, you get early access to the podcast, updates on what we're doing, and for $5 a month, you get all that and a t-shirt and coffee mug. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to all of our listeners who are already contributing. You can also support the show and show off your incredible, impeccable taste by buying our merch at zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. Our theme song for True Crime One-on-One is Cliffhanger by Olive Music from Premium Beat, which provided the license for the song. The Fedora Chronicles radio show and our other podcasts is edited and produced by Eric Hunter King Fisk. That's me. Copyright The Fedora Chronicles 2020. All rights reserved.